Can you believe it? Next Sunday, come back Sunday. I'll finally get to see your faces or your mask, one of the two, but it'll be great to be with you. Uh, just a word, if you are a little nervous about this and you're not quite ready, that's fine. Our services will be live streamed. We want you to feel free to come when you are ready. And if you're not feeling well, we certainly want you to stay home. But we're going to have a great time together. You can sit together as families. Uh, you'll receive some placement mats, which are really paper plates that can give you distance on each side of you. There will be distances between the rows. Uh, just a heads up, the staff will be wearing masks, except for when we're on the stage, just to set the example that we want you to feel comfortable and safe. That's not a requirement of you, but we want you to just know that we want to look out for your best interests. At this time, we're not restarting uh, Sunday school or Bible studies, just our worship service. And we hope that we will get to see you next week. But if not, make sure you watch this live stream as that continues. Today, we begin a new series, uh, Praying for Our Breakthrough. And I'm pretty excited about this series. Have you ever felt stuck? And you kind of felt like, boy, is God ever going to answer my prayer? Is he ever going to help my family? Is he ever going to take care of this situation that I've been praying about for a long time? I believe that during this series, we'll get some answers about how we can effectively pray and uh, seek God's guidance as we uh, go through this process of, of God answering our prayers. How many of you have a prayer list? You know, it's amazing to me, I sometimes go to meetings and people are sitting there and their prayer requests are being made and people are dutifully writing them down and I'm pretty impressed with their spirituality. You know, you go to so many meetings, you hear so many requests and then on Facebook you see all these requests and all these people have praying hands and you know, I'll, I'll pray for that and I'll pray for this. Let me make a confession. There are times I forget. Somebody tells me a bunch of prayer requests and and, and I'm sure I'm going to remember it, and, and I forget. So I've learned about me that when somebody tells me a prayer request and I say I'm going to pray for it, I do it right then. So it's not unusual for me to pray with people in the lobby at church uh, when they give me uh, an urgent request. Because uh, I think sometimes if we promise to pray, we need to pray. And, and I always want to cover things in prayer. Prayer lists are wonderful things. But sometimes our prayer lists get in the way of what God truly wants to do in our hearts and our lives. This is kind of how prayer lists go. You know, you have your prayer list. You got them all written out. Lord, uh, be with Julie. She's battling cancer. And, and be with Don as he's having some vision issues. And be with Justin as he's going through a big change in his life. And Lord, uh, I, I pray you be with Dan and Larcy as they're trying to adopt a baby that they've got in foster care. And, and be with Connie. She's in the early stages of Alzheimer's. We go through this list. We have this big, long list. Sometimes it's a couple hundred names. And we finally get finished and we go, I spent an hour with God. And wasn't it wonderful? Well, it was wonderful, but sometimes that hour with God is not exactly the plan he had for us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit whispers in our ear, shut up and listen. Well, maybe he says it nicer like the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. But basically he's saying there needs to be a time in your prayer that you're opening to, open to hear from me. 
In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about how we recognize God's voice. But what I've discovered about prayer lists is that my prayer list is often very different than God's prayer list. So I'm praying, you know, and God says, I want you to see Larry. Larry? Why do I want to see Larry? Larry hurt me. He told some lies about me. Why, why would I want to see him? I want you to see Larry. What I've discovered is when God brings names to my prayer list that aren't on my prayer list, usually those are names I need to pay attention to because they're people he wants me to be in contact with and he has an agenda for me with those people. My preaching or homiletics professor in, in seminary was named Fred Craddock. And Fred uh, shared this true story from his early, early days in ministry. He would always go home to his little town in Tennessee uh, at Christmas time. And he'd always go to the little local restaurant there. And when people went into the restaurant, they'd always go, Merry Christmas, Buck, because Buck was the owner of the restaurant. And he would set the people down. He'd give them coffee and chest pie and have a great conversation. And Fred said, every time I went in, the conversation went like this. Merry Christmas, Buck. And Buck would say, Merry Christmas, Fred. They went to high school together. And he goes, why don't we go get some coffee? And Fred would say, well, isn't this a restaurant? And he'd laugh and they'd go sit down and they'd have coffee. And on this particular Christmas time, they were having coffee. And it was obvious that Buck was upset. And he said, you see that curtain? He goes, yes, Buck, I see the curtain. I always see the curtain. In this particular restaurant, as many of the stores in this little town were long shotgun kind of places, long and narrow. And there was a curtain that ran right in the middle of the restaurant. And there was an entrance in the alley and an entrance in the front. And this was late 1950s, early 1960s. And the blacks would come in from the alley and the white people would come in from the front, and the curtain divided it. And Buck said, that curtain needs to come down. And Fred goes, great, take it down. And Fred said, it's easy for you to say, you live out of state, you don't run a business. Okay, leave it up. Can't leave it up, I need to take it down. Well, take it down, I can't take it down. Leave it up. <laughs> and finally, Buck said, if I take it down, I'll lose my business. If I leave it up, I'll lose my soul. That's a pretty tough choice, isn't it? Many of us, most of us, have curtains in our lives. Places in our lives where we're drawn toward the safety and the familiar and the easy. And taking the curtain down places us in a more dangerous situation. If we're, let's face it, if, if we're like Abraham and Lot and, and Abraham gives Lot the choice of you pick the land you want, Lot picks the best land. Most of us would be like Lot. Yeah, I'll take the best. If there's two pieces of key lime pie and one is bigger don't ask me to choose. I'm not that holy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. On the other hand, obedience to Christ seems to call us beyond safety 
and beyond the comfort zones in our lives. Over and over again, we must choose to take the curtain down or leave the curtain up. And every time we choose to leave it up, it costs us a piece of our souls. Perhaps it's not always as clear as the choice buckhead to take the curtain down that divides the blacks and the whites. But there are marker events in our lives spiritually that depending on our choice has eternal significance for our relationship with God and equally important to God, our influence on the lives of others. We're constantly making choices that either deepen our walk with Christ or leave us at a level of superficiality in our spiritual walk. In the upper room, hours before Jesus' death and crucifixion, he's meeting with his disciples, and they didn't know this was going to be the last meeting, that this was the last time they would see Jesus physically alive in a physical body before his crucifixion. And Jesus shares with them a scripture uh, from John chapter 14. It says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip responds, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. I think with a tinge of disappointment in his voice, Jesus asked Philip this question, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Philip's probably kind of squirming, but before he tries to, and Jesus doesn't pressure him to answer, Jesus answers his own question. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? The amazing thing about this is that Philip has been with Jesus for three years. He's seen the miracles. He's heard the sermons. And yet, he says, if, if I could just see the Father, that would be enough. What would be enough for you to trust God with your life? To see somebody healed from cancer, would that be enough? To see your business become successful, would that be enough? I just had a conversation yesterday with my friend Heather, and we were talking about our daughter, Chloe. I shared with you, Chloe, as a prayer request a few weeks ago. She was hit by a truck as she was standing outside her car. 19 fractures, a broken clavicle, a broken hand, a broken leg, a shattered jaw, knocked her teeth out. No concussion or a very mild concussion. No spinal cord injuries that you would expect with that kind of trauma. And when she was in rehab, Heather was talking to her doctor and said, can you explain how she could have those kinds of injuries and not have a concussion and not have spinal cord injury? He goes, no, not really. If you believe in that higher, pow higher power stuff, maybe that's it. What would it take for you to believe in that higher power stuff? What if God brought people into your life that encouraged you and blessed you? Would that be enough? What would it take? You've been a follower of Jesus for three years, five years, 
15 years, 30 years. If you had a personal encounter with the risen Christ, would he ask you the same question he asked Philip? Have I been with you for such a long time and you don't know me yet? Jim Carrey stars in an old comedy called Liar, Liar. And in that comedy, uh, Jim has a five-year-old son. He's in a divorce situation. And he loves his son, but he never spends any time with him. He's, he always makes excuses. He's so caught up in his career and in his work. And he's always promising stuff to his son, but he, he never comes through. And it's his fifth birthday, and his son wishes on his fifth birthday just for 24 hours. My dad could not lie. The next 24 hours were horrible for Jim because his whole life was a lie. And there's this very powerful scene where he says the truth. I'm a terrible father. And then all of a sudden he realizes that I'm a terrible father. Sometimes it's so hard for us to be honest with ourselves. Most of us know that at some point we encountered Christ and he forgave us of our sins and we became Christians. But we really have not developed that relationship and nurtured that relationship to the depth that it really ought to have in our lives. We make excuses. It's the job. It's the church. It's our relationships. It's this particular time in my life. But the reality is Sometimes we choose success, personal fulfillment, instead of choosing to take the curtain down. We take the path of least resistance. Oh, we know more Bible verses than we used to know. And maybe our theology is a little clearer and about what we believe and what we don't believe. But we're still looking for that one more thing that will be enough to cause us to have this deep, intimate walk with Jesus? What would it take for you to be deeply, intimately in love with Jesus? What would have to happen? How does that deeper walk with Christ come about? Does it take a catastrophic illness or a broken relationship or a crumbling career to bring that about? Intimacy with Christ is like any other kind of relationship that is intimate. It requires time, conversation, and trust. Time, conversation, and trust. In church, we call that prayer. Prayer is nothing more than the soul's longing for God. And the word's nothing more than the child's attempt to describe those words. Many of us learned our first prayer as a child's prayer. And really, when you think about it, it's kind of a terrifying prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's just prayer every five-year-old to pray. Uh, some of you learned the second verse. If I should live for other days, I pray the Lord to guide my ways. Simple words. Prayers are always simple words. Something like the simple prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
The Bible teaches us that God is trying to have a connection with us. I love this passage in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What does it take to hear from God? Does it take some kind of special sensitivity, some kind of special knowledge? Well, first of all, it, it takes a belief that God cares about us, that God cares about you. I had the privilege several years ago to meet Robert Arvella Schuler. We were on a missions trip in Australia, and they happened to be there promoting the Hour of Power. So I had dinner with them and two other Church of God pastors. Great, great folks. Arvella was so impressive as a Christian lady, and uh, she was sharing about when she and Robert were in Holland, and uh, he had a brain aneurysm. He was unconscious. They didn't know if he would ever wake up. And here she is in a foreign country with her husband who is critically ill, maybe never going to wake up again. And she's looking out the window and there's this little sparrow flapping its wings. And she said, it was like God's messenger. I love your husband more than I love this little bird. And she knew God would take care of him and that he would be okay. God cares for you today. And he wants the very best for you. For some folks, you will never draw close to Christ until you believe that truth, that God truly cares about you. He's for you, not against you. We must believe that God cares. He's not some distant force. We as humans are made in his image. And as we are human and we are, know how to care and give and love and respond, God does the same thing. He knows how to care and give and love and respond to us. Remember my friend Malcolm Riggle, great preacher, good theologian. He studied a lot about what he believed and why he believed it. And one time he said to me, Steve, I'm an Arminian by tradition. By that he meant I believe in free will and that we as people, God gives us the ability to choose. But he goes, I'm also a Calvinist. And I knew what he meant by that. He meant that things in life are not blind luck. It's not uh, whether it's good or bad. God has his handprints all over our lives. He's seeking to guide us and comfort us and cheer us on to the finish line. A few years ago, I was supposed to go to a Lexington ministerial meeting because I was an officer. Now, if you know me very well, you know I, I hate meetings but somehow I end up going to a lot of them. And so I decided I wanted to stay home. I didn't want to go and I kind of felt compelled I ought to go. So I show up and I was the first one there besides the pastor who was hosting the meeting. I'd never met him. So I went into his office and we were chit-chatting and, and I asked, how are things going? I didn't really anticipate him telling me the truth. He said, it's been the worst year of my life. Our church is split. I was betrayed by people I trusted. My wife was pregnant. She lost the baby. I don't know how much longer I can go on. Wow. Suddenly I realized 
I wasn't there for the other meeting. I was there for this meeting. God had sent me to comfort a Christian brother who was going through a very difficult time in his life. And I have seen and experienced that personal kind of care from God so many times in my lifetime. And I thought about how close I came to not going, how close I came to missing God's agenda for that particular day. You see, God does his best stuff through us. And if we're not available, then his best stuff sometimes doesn't happen. Do you believe this morning that God is that personally involved in your life? You see, it's the level of that belief that determines the quality of our prayer life. Because if we truly believe God answers our prayers, then we're pretty sincere about it. The second part of of growing closer to God is just being honest. Until Jim Carrey quit rationalizing about why he was failing to be a good father, real truth couldn't happen in his life. And until we get honest with God, his power and his healing doesn't come through us and to us. There are constant decisions that you and I must make about taking down the curtain or leaving it up. Do we act in our own best interests or do we act to do the will of the Father? Brenda and I were talking this week about how blessed we have been. I've been in ministry now since I was 19 years old. In September, that'll be 50 years. Those of you who are trying to figure it out, that means I'm 69. And we have not had those horrible, horrible experiences that you sometimes hear from pastors. God has been so gracious to us in our ministries. People have been so loving and so kind, and uh, we've had so many incredible things happen to us, and, uh, and we've been blessed so much by that, that when we do have a tough experience, it really stands out. In the second church I served, uh, things were going pretty well. Uh, God was blessing. And one of my associates and a seminary student started a Bible study and got several key families from the church going to that Bible study. And, you know, Bible study sounds spiritual, right? That's a pretty good thing. And one of my friends came to me and he said, "Uh, Steve, I I went to the Bible study and it's not good. Uh, There was a lot of talk about you and what you aren't doing and what you should be doing. And he goes, and it was coming from your leadership. So I believe very strongly that you, you go to the person. So I went to the person and I said, is this true? And, and he said, well, no. Well, I guess it could be interpreted that way. And the result of this over a period of months was that associate, the seminary student that I was mentoring and several key families left the church. And I was devastated. And I didn't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit very clearly told me, you either forgive them or your ministry is over. So I went to the pastor. I went to the student. And I told them that I was disappointed, that I was hurt, but that I forgave them. And if I'd done anything that had caused this, I asked their forgiveness. 
Now, God has a great sense of humor. Sometimes he wants to make sure you really meant it. So 10 years later, in a different church, a totally different setting, I'm preaching one Sunday, just going away. I look out, and there's the associate. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, let's see how much you meant it. So after the service, I went out in the lobby, and I went over, and I hugged him. And he began to cry, and he said, I've grown up a lot. I've made some big mistakes, and that was my biggest, and I ask your forgiveness. And I remember thanking God that I had not spent 10 years in bitterness and anger, but I had forgiven him. If you recall, when Jesus was arrested, and this scene always helps me when I have to deal with, uh, with forgiveness, because is it easy to forgive when people have wronged you? No. But it's important that we do it. And so uh, Jesus, if you recall, was being tried and he was innocent. And they beat him and they took a, a crown of thorns and they didn't just put it on his head. They crammed it on his head. They nailed him to a cross, hands and feet. And while he was on that cross, looking down near death, lungs filling, filling with fluids so he would go up on his toes as high as he could to breathe. And he's looking down at a crowd jeering at him. And his last words were, go to hell. No, that might have been our last words. No, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And every time I start feeling kind of sorry for myself and thinking, God, they're mistreating me. You see the hands with the holes in them. And he said, pray my prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dr. Frank LeBach shares this forgiveness prayer for those times that we struggle with forgiveness. He said our task is not to block God's love for that person. So, he says, you take your right hand, your index finger, and you point it to that imaginary person that you can't love, that you don't want to love. And you take your left hand with your palm up, and you pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, you can flow through my palm and down my arm and across my chest and my heart and out my finger, and you can love this person. You can strike them with your love. Try praying that prayer for a month for someone you're struggling to forget, someone you're harboring bitterness towards. And you'll be amazed at how God can work when we get our feelings out of the way and allow him to work. Third thing that we notice when we begin to mature in our walk with Christ, that the story becomes less about us and more about others. Several years ago, I called a, an associate, a former associate of my church. He had gone to a different church and the pastor had resigned and he was the only person there. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a heavy burden for him. And, and he was sharing with me, he goes, Steve, I don't know what to do. I went to a, to a board meeting and they announced that they had cut our giving from 10% for outreach to 8% because 
we didn't have a senior pastor and funds weren't coming in as, as much as they should. And he goes, but I really felt in my heart that if we're going to ask the people to tithe and give 10%, then, then we as the body of Christ should be doing that. What should I do? I said, well, I think you should tell your leadership this is just how you feel. And he did, and, and they, they put it back to 10% and brought it to the congregation, and it passed, not by a unanimous vote, but it passed. That week, an attorney called. A lady had died and left the church $176,000. Now, you can interpret that several ways, but that church believes that God confirmed his desire is not for our comfort, but for us to reach out and touch others who are hurting. As we grow in Christ, we ask less and less, is this going to inconvenience me? And more and more, will this help me do what God wants me to do? When we move closer to God, we find that we often become the answer to other people's prayers. When we went to uh, Clearwater as, as young pastors, we had an old car, a 1973 tomato and green Dobson station wagon, which my wife hated, but I got a really good deal on it. And, and it was a stick shift and, and we'd had the thing forever and it just wouldn't die. We were building a new church and we used it to haul lumber and stuff and it, the rear bumper got ripped off. And uh, I mean, it was, it was a bad looking car. And uh, we were going to take a vacation with the three boys. I think they were eight, seven, and five at the time or six at the time. Uh, we had three and four years. I kind of had trouble keeping them all squared away. And three boys in the back seat of a little car on a thousand mile trip is not good. And so we would always leave at like two o'clock in the morning hoping they would sleep part of the time. And on this particular Sunday, as I'm getting ready to leave church, going to leave that next morning at two o'clock to go on the trip, Bill and Catherine walk up to me. Bill, a very successful businessman in the church. Catherine, always pristine in her dress. And he said, Steve, I've always wanted to drive that little car of yours. I'm thinking, why? <laughs> why would anyone want to drive that car? And he had just bought this beautiful conversion van, brand new. He goes, let's trade. And he took my keys and I gave him, he gave me his keys and he gave me $100. He goes, mine uses more gas. You might need this. And when I watched them drive out in that little car, he was 6'2", 250. And I looked, it just was a crazy sight with no bumper. And they're pulling out. And I'm thinking, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person that God uses to bless others and to help others. For prayer to work, there must be vulnerable communication between us that says, I trust you. And we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. This is an amazing verse in John chapter 15, verse 15. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. God wants to be known by us. He doesn't want any secrets with us. Now, 
God desires our obedience. That's the first thing that we give to him to show our love. But he doesn't want it to be forced obedience. He wants a different kind of obedience. Brenda has learned over the years on her birthday and for Christmas that she just tells me one or two things that she would like to have for Christmas because she used to give me a list and I would try my very best to get everything on the list. Why? Because I loved her and I wanted to do that. God wants us to obey, not because we have to, but because we think, God might like this. I want to do this because it might be pleasing to him and I can show my love for him. That's the kind of obedience God wants. God wants intimacy with us. He wants to share our deepest joys and our doubts and our fears. And the more we trust him, the easier it is to take the curtain down. Perhaps there's some areas of your life this morning that you're having to decide, do I leave the curtain up or do I take the curtain down? Do I do what's convenient for me or do I seek to be totally obedient to him? I invite you now to just say, God, more than anything else, I want my life to make a difference for you. Give me courage to be honest, to trust you, to forgive, to care more about your will than my convenience, and to remove any obstacles that prevent me from being that person you've called me to be. David prayed a prayer like that thousands of years ago when he said in the Psalms, See if there's any offensive way in me. I love how the New Living Testament translates Psalm 139, 24. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This morning, this is our prayer. Point out those places, Lord, where I'm missing the mark. We bring our gift to you on the altar, and if you call to our mind there's someone a brother or sister we got something against we're going to lead it there we're going to reconcile with them and then we'll come back and give you the gift if there's any curtains in our lives that need to come down give us the courage to take them down let's pray father today we thank you so much for your amazing grace and love we're so grateful that you've called us friends and that you want to have this incredibly intimate relationship with us. So Lord, any of those curtains that are preventing that relationship, that are thwarting that relationship, give us the courage to take them down so that we might know you and be known by you at a deeper level. Lord, we wanna know you more. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus, amen. So we're praying for a breakthrough in these days. This song talks about praying at the altar. I know you might not have an altar in your home, but figuratively speaking, the altar can be God's presence. So go come to that altar of God's presence wherever you are and 
just position yourself and take on the posture of humility and prayer before him and take whatever he he said through his word through pastor steve and let's take it to him are you hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of your sin jesus is calling have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well jesus is calling Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he? Down before him, for 
arms, arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. depravity, in our frailty, in our weakness, you are strong. And breakthrough is found in you and you alone. So we continue to pray for breakthrough in our lives. We continue to pray for breakthrough in others' lives that we know who are going through valleys, trials, troubles, hurt, relationship situations job situations, financial situations. Lord, whatever it is we face, Lord, we get on our knees and we say, Lord, have a breakthrough, breakthrough in our lives, God. And thank you, Jesus, for already breaking through on that cross so that we can have hope, hope for a future, hope for an eternity with you. So we give you praise and thanks for your encouragement through your spirit and for your affirmation and for your just your love and your grace this morning that's poured out on us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion for us, for your children. Breakthrough, Lord. Breakthrough, we'll follow hard after you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, next Sunday. Come back Sunday. We'll see you then. 9 and 11. We love you, Pathway.